Well, good morning, Temple Baptist Church. Did you have a good week? Did you have a good week? Amen. Wow, I almost didn't make it. The, the uh, 402 is closed for a big, long section there. And uh, so I had to get off and go on country roads. And thankfully, my McLaren is really good on those straight stretches. Did I say McLaren? I meant Mazda. Sorry. Uh, but we made it. Praise God. Amen. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump in this morning. Abba Father, we have gathered together as the ecclesia, the called-out people, your chosen ones. And we've gathered this day because we want to celebrate you. We want to lift you up, declare the worship of you. And now may you capture our minds, soften our hearts. May you be amongst us, for you are the God who is there. And remove any distractions, anything that the week has brought into our time this morning, just strip that away. And Father, help your servant this morning to say what you would desire for us to hear. And so, clarify my thinking and anoint my lips. We love you, Lord, and we want you to hear that this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory and all of his children said, amen. Amen. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, as we continue on in our series, This We Know, as we study the upper room. And as you're turning to John 14, do I seem really loud? My wife often says that I sound really loud. So is it echoey or is it just me, guys? Sound guys. I don't know. Okay. Hey, James, you're sitting right there. Wow, we got the boss right in front of me. This is tough, eh? This is like the employee interview, right? You know, when the, when the boss is right here on the camera. Wow, this is tough stuff. 1967, two of the greatest songwriters of the 20th century sat down and they penned a song. The song was penned for the drummer in their group because the drummer got one song on every album, and he wasn't a very good singer. And so they penned this song for him. It would be placed on an album that arguably some would say would actually change popular music as it was known at the time. The drummer changed the first line of the song from how they had written it, because the first line of the song was written, I'll just read it to you, what would you think if I sang out of tune? And then the next part of it was, originally written by McCartney and Lennon, would you throw ripe tomatoes at me? And the drummer knew full well that in concerts, if he sang that, in fact, they would throw ripe tomatoes at him. There's much debate over with a little help from my friends, what that actually meant. Many declared that it actually meant that the help came from drugs. Although for years, Lennon and McCartney would say 
that the help actually came from those around you. That to get through life, you actually did need some help. Those who would come alongside you on the journey of life. And this idea of a helper on the journey of life was not originated from the pen of Lennon and McCartney. It was part of God's plan in eternity past. And not just to get by. You know, that's kind of like, I get by with a little help from my friends. I just want to try and get by. I'm just going to try and soldier on. No, actually, God's plan was to give us a helper that not only could you get by and survive, but you'd actually thrive. You'd thrive in life. Look at John 14. Let me begin to read at verse 12 this morning. I hope maybe we'll be able to come back to this section, but I'm going to jump ahead. There's reason for that, and you'll see that as we go through the series a little bit. But hear God's Word beginning at verse 12. Truly, truly, the Lord Jesus speaking, of course, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And here we can see clearly that Jesus is expecting his children, his followers, to thrive, not just survive, and ultimately to bear spiritual fruit. Now, remember, Jesus has made this claim right on the heels of revealing that he's going away and and that they'll be ministering in an entirely different context without the physical presence of Jesus amongst them. And in fact, remember, Jesus has also informed Peter, Peter, you're going to mess this up, and Peter does mess this up, and so do we. Amen? We don't always get it right. We know that. And so, this prospect of doing greater things immediately brings us to a place of understanding that to do greater things, we're going to need an enabling power to do such. That we're just not going to muster up our own energies. And the crucial reality of how that can take place is about to be unfolded by the Lord Jesus. So let's read on, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you, forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. This is God's Word. And of course, the helper that Jesus is speaking of is the Holy Spirit. And so, we're going to take some time this morning and just unpack this understanding of the Holy Spirit a little bit. I think we as Baptists have uh, too quickly diminished the work of the Holy Spirit. We, our brothers and sisters that come from more charismatic traditions, sometimes we feel that there's been an overemphasis. I think probably somewhere in the middle is good. So, that's what we're going to do this morning. The Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit is the enabling power for the Christian life. The Holy Spirit is the enabling power for the Christian life. 
the fuel, if you will, for the Christian life. Oswald Chambers says, the Spirit is the first power we practically experienced, but the last power we come to understand. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. This is beautiful. He writes, he remains at this hour the present Emmanuel, God with us, dwelling in and with his people, quickening, guiding, and ruling in our midst. Is his presence recognized as it ought to be? We cannot control his working. He is most sovereign in all his operations. But are we sufficiently anxious to obtain his help or sufficiently watchful lest we provoke him to withdraw his aid? Now listen to this. Without him, we can do nothing. But by his almighty energy, the most extraordinary results can be produced. Everything depends upon his manifesting or concealing his power. You believe that? I do. Absolutely do. Now, let's unpack it a little bit. Let's look at verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. This is the gift of another helper. This helper is from God, and as we will see, is God, right? Jesus has said his true followers will love him and they will obey him, and he will, on his part, secure for them from the Father another helper, and we know that the Father denies nothing from the Son. And, and notice carefully, I will give you another. Now, that word's important. Don't miss the importance of that. Another, of course, means an additional, right? What it means is that each ministry function that the helper performs and helps you with is true of the Lord Jesus. He is both in the disciples as he is in Jesus. And this is so hard to get, right? This, this idea of the triune Godhead, very difficult, hard to fully understand. I, I think in glory, God will make this a lot clearer for us. But it is hard to get our minds around this, unique and yet united and all the dynamics of that. I paid a lot of money for a theology class in seminary, and I'm not sure I understood it any better. And he teaches the disciples in, back in John 13. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. I'm, I'm going to help you. So we have this dual reality of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, which are unique, and yet they're united, and both of those realities are going to be true as far as the aid. And, and, and one of the things I think we want to remember, okay, is this, that the Holy Spirit is not an understudy to Jesus. A, a lot of people think, well, it actually would be better if Jesus lived in my house than the Holy Spirit lived in me. Well, in one regard, both are living in you. And the Spirit is not simply God's agent on earth. He is God on earth in us. It's a powerful reality. The helper. Let us, let us define that word just for a second. The helper. Because that word gets a little bit confused and diminished in, in the vernacular in which we use. Some translations, they say it's counselor. The word literally is one who is called alongside to help. And, and think of the word more of as, as a function than it is a title. If you like language, it's an attributive verb, which is a verb that actually speaks to the reality or an attribute of a noun. 
Now, what should we avoid? Often we use this word comforter, right? And comforter sounds like a quilt on your sofa. And it's just kind of warm and fuzzy. Yesterday in the morning, Saturday mornings, we kind of just chill out at our house and my wife Cheryl came down from upstairs and sat down on the couch and pulled on this comfort. She said, oh, this is just so great and everything, you know. And that's how we think of, you know, if we think of the Holy Spirit as just, oh, just warm. and No, the Holy Spirit is a power. Now, is one of the things he does bring comfort? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. So this morning, what I want to do over the next few minutes is unpack from our passage this morning, the immediate context for ministry aspects of the Holy Spirit available to you if you're a follower of Jesus today. Okay, today. So what does the Holy Spirit do? The first thing, the first reality is the Holy Spirit is our teacher. You see what Jesus said there? The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. You know, sometimes you try and share spiritual insights with folks, and they look at you like you're speaking Japanese. Have you ever had that happen to you? Right? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so unbelievers do not have this teacher. It's unique to those who have experienced restoration, redemption through Christ. And if you want to do greater works, which is what the passage before this said, then you're going to need God's help. And that God would shine through you light into the dark world and bring clarity and vision to the spiritual blindness. Some people are just blind. My, my dad used to always say, love is blind, but marriage is a pretty good pair of glasses. Never enter into a spiritual discussion with somebody who is not a follower of Christ without petitioning for the Spirit's help in that, to help you in that and bring illumination. And examine in your own heart to reveal anything that would hinder the Spirit's help for you. But the Spirit teaches us, teaches us, and sometimes it teaches us the same things over and over again. Let me tell you about a very interesting little experience I had at the beginning of COVID, so this is a while ago. Uh, Saturday night, I'm at my house, I'm working in my shop, I'm one of these guys that is a weekend warrior with wrenches and hammers and stuff. So I'm working on a tractor in my shop, and uh, it's late November, and I'm putting a snow plow on the front of this tractor, and as I'm putting it on, the snow plow which is solid steel, weighs about 350 pounds, falls onto my one foot. Yes, that's, that's what I felt, yeah. And I'm dangerously close to saying words that are not pastor kind of words. This thing lands square on my foot, and oh man, you know, like I didn't even want to take my shoe off. I went in the house, I finally took my shoe off. My foot was smashed, like it was a mess. But it's Saturday night, I don't want to go to emergency, so I said to Cheryl, she said, you're going to have to get that looked at. That thing's a mess. I said, no, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to get through the night, and maybe tomorrow, if, it, you know, if it's no better, well, of course, bad night, hardly sleep. I wake up in the morning, I look at it, it's a mess. It's black and blue, and it's a mess. And so I, she said, you got to go get it looked at. So I get on the internet, and I look at my hospital in Cambridge, 
where I live, and the wait is always really long. It's like a four or five hour wait. But the hospital at Brantford, which is only, you know, half an hour from me, it's like less than an hour. So I said, I'm going to jump in the car and I'm going to go to Brantford to get this looked at. I'll be in and out quick. Now, at the same time that I'm doing this, there's a freezing rain warning. It's Sunday morning, early, freezing rain warning. And so when I leave my house, the freezing rain has already started. I go to the Brantford Hospital. By now, it is really coming down. My foot's killing me. I go in, I wait, I get in really quick. Wonderful doctor. She looks at you and goes, yeah, you broke this bone in your foot and you're going to have to get a walking cast. I go in, I come out. When I come out, everything's ice. In fact, I come out of the hospital and right in front of me, a guy rear ends another guy. Like right there, bang. I mean, it's just crazy. The driving's terrible. So I get in my car and I got a stick shift car with a walking cast. Not that easy. And it's ice everywhere. And I'm thinking, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, it's Sunday morning. I got nowhere to go. I'm going to stop. I'm going to have breakfast. And, uh, you know, I'll just take my time. I'll sit in the restaurant, kill an hour. By then, the salt trucks will be out. So I drive out of Brantford, and every restaurant I see is in darkness, closed. Nothing's open, I mean, because of the ice. And then I see this little restaurant, and it has an open sign in. So I go in there, and I sit down. There's virtually, I think there was one other person in the restaurant. All the wait staff is standing around, and this young gal comes over to me, and she goes, hey, like really kind of, effervescent, and I go, hey, back, and I look up, and here's this girl, and she's got, like, lots of tats, and she's got holes in her head that God never put there, okay? But she's, like, this really engaging, you know, effervescent person, and I go, hey, how are you? And good, and I said, well, I'm glad you're here, you know, everybody else is closed, and she goes, yeah, we're just kind of standing around, and so she goes, I'll get you some coffee, so off she goes, and she comes back with the coffee, and we talk a little more, because she's got nobody else to wait on, and she gets my breakfast. She brings my breakfast. And uh, so we get talking. And uh, I should tell you this. Earlier that week, I was in a coffee shop meeting with a guy. And another guy came up to me who I knew. And he said, I don't want to interrupt. I just wanted to give you something. And he reached over and he put something in my hand. And I said, oh, and I stuck it in my pocket. When I'm sitting in emergency waiting to go in, I reached into the pocket and I, you know, and I pulled it out. It was a $100 bill from this guy early in the week. So I'm in the restaurant. I'm talking to this girl. She comes back with the breakfast. And I said, can I ask you something? She goes, sure. I said, uh, you're a very engaging person. Like, you're just full of life and enthusiastic and everything. Like, it's fine that you're working in the restaurant, but do you ever sense there's more for you in life? She goes, hmm, it's interesting that you should say that. I said, really? And she goes, yeah, I think there is more. She said, I, I'm an artist. And I said, why don't you pursue it? And she goes, well, I'm trying to. And I said, well, what do you do? She said, I paint guitars. I said, really? And she goes, in fact, I'll show you some. And she goes booking back into the kitchen, gets her phone, right? Because there's no, nobody in the restaurant. She comes out and she shows me these pictures, and they're amazing. Like, the, the art, artwork is incredible. I said, wow, that's incredible. Like, that's just beautiful. And she says to me, yeah, yeah. I said, why don't you pursue that? And she says, well, I'm trying, but I'm, I'm trying to build a website. I don't know how to build a website, and I'm trying to save enough money to build a website. I'm getting close, but I don't have enough money. And so that's, that's the next thing, because, you know, everything's done online now if you want to get, you know, a broad audience for guitars. And I said, okay. So she goes away, and I'm sitting there. The Holy Spirit will teach you, and I'm sitting there, 
And what do you think the Holy Spirit tells me? Guess what? Give her the hundred dollars! <sighs> so we finish up breakfast, and she comes back, and uh, she says, do you need the machine? I go, yeah. You know, so I put my debit card in. And I said, I'm going to give you the tip in cash. So I give her the $100 bill. She goes, do you realize that's $100? I go, yeah. She says, I can't believe you're doing this. And I said, neither can I. <laughs> right? <laughs> I gave her the $100. And I said, now you can't spend this. This is to go to your website. And she goes, deal, deal. And so I walk out, and I look back, and all the wait staff is waving, saying, I wish I would have got you. Right? <laughs> and uh, so off I went. I went home. And I just felt like, you know, now, now I got a true confessions. I want to be transparent. Why did God make me do that? I'll tell you why. Because about three months before that, I had quit my job at my big church with my big salary and my benefit package and my book allowance and my car allowance and all of that. I had quit that and stepped out on faith to trust God to provide our income. And I'll tell you, I had spent two or three months saying, I've, I've lost my mind. Like, I left my salary and this big church, and they loved me, and I could have stayed, and now I'm trusting the Lord, and, and, and you know, and where's the money going to come from? You know, oh, man. And in that restaurant, the Lord says, give away the $100. Three weeks later, three weeks later, I had to go back for the checkup on the foot. So I drove back down to Brantford, went into the hospital, had my foot looked at, when I left my house that morning, we live in the country, so we have a mailbox at the end of our driveway, and we don't check it every day. So I pulled out that morning that I was going for the checkup, and I opened the mailbox, I looked in, there was a few things, I pulled it out, and I threw it on the seat of the car, and uh, I looked, oh, what's this? And there was an envelope, you know, just a handwritten kind of an envelope. I didn't recognize it. I opened It's a check for $100. So I go and I get my foot looked at, and I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to go to that restaurant again. Not connecting. So I go to the restaurant again, and I'm sitting there looking at my phone, and this girl comes up and sets a menu down and says, good morning, and I go, good morning. She goes, it's you again. I go, yeah. I said, how are you? Good, good. I said, well, you know, I had back here at your hospital. I said, I don't come. So anyways, she said, I want you to know I'm like this close to get my website. I almost have enough. I've got a guy that can build it. I'm this close, and I said, oh, great, great. And she goes back in the back. And the Spirit again says to me, you got another $100. You didn't even know you had it. And so when she came back this time, she said, you need the machine? I said, yeah. I said, I'm going to give you the tip on the machine. She said, you did it again. I said, I know. What was the Spirit of God teaching me? Number one, don't eat in Brantford. That's the first thing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. When I drove away on both of those occasions, I experienced in my hesitant obedience, 
I experienced the pleasure and the peace of God. And He taught me by way of His Spirit again that day in a very personal, in a very deep way, that God is supremely trustworthy. Why? Because He's fantastically and unwaveringly good. Amen. Which takes me to the second thing that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And these two are kind of combined for me that morning in that little restaurant. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit reminds us. Look there at verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Hmm. This is really amazing when it happens to you. If you are living a Spirit-filled life, meaning that you are surrendered to God's will and you are connected to God's Spirit. Have you ever had an interaction with somebody and somebody will say, you know, I got this problem or something going on in my life, and all of a sudden a verse or a passage of Scripture goes bing into your head? The Spirit reminds you, right? My son who's a pastor, he writes a devotional every week for his church. And uh, this week, this devotional he writes, and I get it, and I'm reading it, and in it he says, when I was a kid, my dad and I memorized the first chapter of the book of James. And he said, that memorization always brings to reminder, right, a verse that is, that was helpful to him that week, right? The anger of man does not produce, anybody know what it says? Righteousness of God. And bing, it popped up into his mind. He could use that verse that week. So the Holy Spirit brings remembrance. Now listen, listen. The Holy Spirit can't take out of you what you haven't put in. So if you're not spending time in His Word and, and, and taking His Word in and memorizing it and reflecting on it and meditating on it, don't expect this to be some, you know, sort of uh, high watermark, but He will bring to remembrance that which you put in. The third is the Holy Spirit is a protector, and I need to hurry up here a bit is a protector. Look at verse 17. Now, you don't realize this, but it says this, even the spirit of truth who will guide you into all truth. The greatest protection for you in your life is God's truth. Did you know that? He will guide you into all truth. What is truth? People ask me all the time, like, you know, there's a lot of talk about truth. What is truth? Simple definition. Here it is. Truth is reality from God's perspective. It's how God sees things. That's what's truth. Reality from his perspective. Facts are always our friends. And remember Jesus said there, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Whatever he hears. That's interesting, isn't it? Who does the Spirit listen to? Who does the Spirit listen to? God. The Father. And as Jesus lives out absolute exhaustive obedience to his Father, he ensures that he is not to be taken as a mere mortal, and, and he's not just one of competing deities, but he is the revelation of God himself. So also the Spirit ensures the unity of God and of the revelation God graciously grants. 
Uh, how many of us here, you don't have to put your hand up or you can do one of these little things like this, right? But how many of us as Christ followers have done something we know we should not have done? Come on, have a little courage, you all have, right? There's times where you go, what am I doing? What am I thinking? I'm not thinking. That's what I'm doing, right? And, and sometimes we've done it and we've had a sense that we shouldn't do it and we've still done it. And sometimes we felt badly after doing it. Amen? You're like, ah, I don't think I should have said that. And after you said it, you're like, yeah, I shouldn't have said it. I knew I shouldn't have said it before I said it. When you become a Christ follower, Jesus, by way of the Spirit, comes to live in you. This is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is I who no longer lives, but Christ who lives in me. He's in charge. Therefore, when you have that sense of, I, I should or uh, I should not, or I should, in my case, in the restaurant, it's the Spirit of God leading you. That's God's truth. It's reality from His perspective. Don't do that, or you should do that. Truth always tells you where you stand. Right? I love the story of Mrs. Watson. She teaches grade two. She has to take a leave of absence, and she has to go in the hospital and have surgery. She gets a card from her grade two class. Dear Mrs. Watson, we hope you have a speedy recovery and you return to our class very soon. Your students by a vote of 15 to 14. Right? Like, yeah, that's truth, right? You know where you stand when you read that. Truth tells you where you stand. And when you are contemplating sin and there is this sense of don't go there, that is the Holy Spirit listening to God and speaking you the truth about what you are about to do. Now, look at verse 17. I want you quickly just to notice a little parenthetical statement in there that's very important, especially in the world in which we live today. Even the spirit of truth, and then there's this little sort of parenthetical reference or this aside that John scribes that Jesus says, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees nor knows him. Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Let me read you a couple verses. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you all ought to answer each person. And if you read in the Bible next to uh, the word outsiders there, it actually refers over to Mark chapter 4. Uh, verse 11, where it tells us that we have been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, in other words, in stories that they don't really understand. If you have Christ in you, friends, listen, you have this kingdom understanding sensitivity to the truth. Amen? And why is that so important in the world in which we live? Because we cannot expect the world to understand and abide by the same truth that we do. And what's worse is when they don't and we become arrogant about it instead of heartbroken about it. We should be heartbroken that the world doesn't understand that God's truth is the ultimate protector of how to live the human life. And a big-time caution, the worst possible response is to be prideful, and that's manifested, right, in arrogance. And that's why Paul says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, 
preserve. Act like Jesus. It's a direct reference back to John 14, 1, right? Which says, tells us that, and the word came to us, right? The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And Jesus was full of, what's the first word? And truth. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. And as we face these issues that we face in our world today, and they're told about in Scripture, right? We move ahead speaking graciously in our world. We readily dispense truth into the discussion, but we do it graciously. We do it graciously. Let me say this before I move on to the final one. Parents. We got any parents here this morning? Parents? Grandparents? If you are living as parents surrendered to Christ in a Christ-centered home where you hold truth as a high, high value. In other words, you're calibrating your conscience and your lives in your home to the Word of God and not calibrating your lives and your conscience to the culture around you. When you do that and you entrust your children's spiritual development to an environment like that, and you've made a deep commitment to be an active part of your church, if you are in the hockey rink most Sundays all winter long, then you're going to regret that. I've been a pastor for many years. I've never, ever had a parent say, you know, one of the mistakes we made, we had our kids in church too much. But if you are entrusting your children to that kind of environment in your home where you are calibrating your conscience, your lives, to this high value of God's truth, reality from His perspective, then let me just say this. Don't worry about your kids. You've done what you can do. You trust God in the trade-off. Now, if, if, if truth and Jesus and church is a casual connection in your home, you better start to worry. I'm just telling you the way I see it from the Word of God. Number four, he's a revealer. He's a revealer. When the, look at verse uh, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you all the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit will guide us through New Testament living today. Right? And that's why Peter says his divine power was granted to us to all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So how do I interact with the Holy Spirit? I'm going to do this quickly. We'll be done. How do I interact with the Holy Spirit? First and foremost, the most important thing is relationally as a person like Christ, not as this sort of, you know, mist out there. The Holy Spirit as a person. The, the Holy Spirit is not merely an esprit de corps, right? Uh, you know, this common sort of spirit out there floating around, you know, cranking up, you know, enthusiasm and that kind of thing. So what do you do? You listen to the Spirit because He is not just a force, but He is a thinking being. Thinking being, right? 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11 are the reference there. I won't take you there for the sake of time. But you listen to the Spirit because the Spirit is a being who's thoughtful, wise. Secondly, 
You obey the Spirit because disobedience grieves Him and damages your relationship. If you, are, if you grieve your husband or grieve your wife or grieve your kids or your parents or your best friend or whatever, that dings the relationship. The relationship does not function as well as it could and should, and it's the same as this relationship with the Holy Spirit. If you walk in disobedience, you grieve the Spirit and hinder the relationship and the Spirit's work. Uh, you know, Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, Paul writes. Can't be any clearer than that, right? And the Holy Spirit is grieved by anything unjust, any thought, any word, or any act that is evil in any regard. And don't make evil sin tolerable by verbal gymnastics. You know one thing that I've seen parents do? And I, th- and I think it's, it's a headache and a nightmare. They'll have small children who do bad things, and they laugh. It's funny. Disobedience is never funny. Now, I've had it with my kids and grandkids where they do something, and I turn around and I go, but I don't let them see me do it. You don't ever want to affirm that which is not honorable to the Lord. And the outcome of obedience is stated clearly, right? In verse 21 of John 14, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. This is like a ball, snowball rolling down a hill. You'll experience the Spirit of God in you more and more and more as Christ grows in you. Final way that we interact with the Spirit is by walking in his will for us. All, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills, right? Now, here's a caveat, okay, of, as far as walking in the, God's will. The Spirit will direct you in God's will. I can't tell you over the 12 years that I was pastoring how many people would come to me. Often it's college students or high school students or young couples, and they'll come to me and they'll say to me, Pastor Steve, Uh, Can we ask you to pray for God's, what do you think the next word is? Will for us, right? God will reveal his will. My immediate first response to them and my response, if you were to ask me that this morning, would be this. Here's Here's the issue. Do not ask God to reveal his will to you and expect him to do that if you are not prepared to walk in obedience to it. Because in so doing you're asking God to put you into a state of disobedience, right? And he has no prerogative to do that. So so it's one thing to, you know, sometimes in my life when I've said, I just want to know God's will, actually what I want is I want God's stamp of approval on what I want to do, right? So the Spirit will reveal, he is the revealer, he'll reveal his will, but only when we are ready to walk in obedience. Take away question, friends. What is your Holy Spirit relationship like today? What is it like? Do you spend time with the Spirit? Do you get up in the morning and say, Holy Spirit, you're in me? That means we're traveling together today. Everything that I do, you're doing. Every, every place I go, every word I say, you're going to know, you're going to experience. So, Holy Spirit, first, I love you. And first, I acknowledge that I need your help. And secondly, would you give me the courage to walk in obedience to whatever you tell me to do 
But most importantly, would you have your way, your will, with me today? And in so doing, if you do that day in and day out, hour by hour, you will experience in a profound way the pleasure of God and his peace. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We love you. Father, have your way in us. Thank you for the paraclete, for the helper, this one who comes alongside, who is you in us. And Father, may we be sensitive to the Spirit. May we give the Spirit full reign of the house. May we experience, as we walk in obedience to his nudge, his correction, his encouragement, may we experience your pleasure and your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.